Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You may have a seat, church. Well, we're going to be in John 17 eventually. All right, it's going to take a minute to get there. So we're starting this new series, three-week short series called Prayers for All People, and really comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. So that's going to be our launching off point these next three weeks, but we're not going to stay there. But the point is that we see in 1 Timothy is praying for all people. And so if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Prayers for One Another. And what we're going to see in these three weeks is specific groups of people that we're going to be praying for. And so prayers for one another is what we're going to be talking about today. Again, our jumping off point is going to be 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, but we're going to read 1 through 4 this morning, which says this. It says, first of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so let me just give some quick context of this letter in 1 Timothy. And we did a whole series months ago called Cultural Church, and I know you remember every sermon from that series, so we're not going to rehash that. But a quick overview is simply this. Paul writes the letter to Timothy by inspiration of the Holy Spirit for direction for the church in Ephesus, for both correction and construction. In other words, there are some things that need to be done in that church and things undone. And so with that, you notice here in verse 1, it says, first of all. This is important, a priority. It says, first of all, what? Pray. Petitions, intercessions. We need to be praying, a priority of prayer within the gathering. And when we see in the Bible, it has this attitude and posture of prayer should be almost like breathing. And so how often do you breathe? Probably pretty regularly, right? You're sitting here. That's a good thing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 simply says, pray constantly. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's pretty frequently. This posture of prayer constantly and consistently. It's interesting when we start talking about pray and praying. The question comes around, if you know the Bible, why pray? And here's what I mean. Because we know that God's sovereign. He's all-powerful, he's in control of everything, and ultimately does what he wants. Those are all things that are, are true. And so why do we pray? And it's a great question. And there's some mystery how God moves in accordance with his people's prayers. It's amazing. But I think a great answer comes in the text that we saw. Verse 3 simply says, this is good, and it pleases God our Savior. I think it's a great reason to pray. Because it's good, and it pleases God. And so maybe instead of asking the question, why pray, may ask the question, why don't we pray? Or really, more accurately, why don't we pray more? And we've talked about prayer before, and what I'm not going to do, I'm not going to try and provide any guilt, right, of why we don't pray. Because here's what I know. I know that all of us understand that we need to pray more. And I'm convinced, like, I can come up here and tell you how to pray. I can give you the ACTS acronym. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. All these things are good. 
on how to pray. We look at the Lord's Prayer. He teaches disciples how to pray, which we're going to in a minute. But ultimately, we need God's Spirit to work in our lives to produce a heart posture of prayer. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And so why don't we pray for more? I think I'm convinced. I know the answer. And it's not because we don't want to. It's not because we don't want to. I do think it's because we don't need to. I don't think it's because we don't want to. I think it's because we don't need to pray. And put more bluntly, we don't need God. Here's what I mean. Let me talk to the parents. And if you're not a parent, you can apply this separately. But most of my life is consumed with parenting, as many of you know. But if my child gets sick, the first thing I'm going to do is give them medicine. But if they're really sick, we're going to go to the doctor. And they'll get taken care of most of the time, right? You know what I'm not doing in that process? I'm not praying first. Isn't that interesting? Like, why don't we pray first? We get so comfortable, like, we don't pray because we don't need God. We have all our needs met, especially in this Western area, a very affluent area. All of our needs are met, so we don't have needs, and so we don't need God, and we don't need to pray. Maybe that's just me. I don't believe, again, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor, don't have medications, don't do these things. I don't believe the Bible is anti-physicians and anti-prescriptions. I don't believe that. But I do believe that God still heals and uses his people. We, we talk about this here. Listen, we, our, our biblical theology is we're charismatics with a seatbelt, right? You've heard me say it. We believe it. Like God still heals people. God still does miraculous things. The gifts of tongues are still a thing. All these things are still a thing, but the seatbelt is the Bible. That make sense? So these things are good. And I'm convinced we don't see healings as much anymore because we're not praying for people to be healed. Like, I want to start praying, and I want us to start praying more expectantly. Like, are we actually expecting God to move? I think we're more shaped by our experiences than the Bible. And we never see people healed because how often are we praying for people to be healed? And we know God heals people, and you know, we know He doesn't. But I bet we'll see a lot more healings when we actually start praying for people to be healed. Because, man, I mean, how much more is God glorified in those moments? I mean, He's glorified through everything. But we start praying for people to be healed, and they're healed. Only one person can be honored. It's not you. It's him alone. I was thinking about this. This came to my mind as I saw the Amazon truck at my house the other day. Man, we do some Amazon ordering. Maybe too much. And so, so much that every time I see an Amazon truck, I assume it's going to stop at our house. Just do. And so I was in my driveway with the kids, and I saw the Amazon truck. I'm like, oh, I wonder what we got today. And it went by. It's like, what? It didn't stop? I was shocked. Like, honestly, I was shocked. And I was like, at that moment, I thought, what if we prayed like that? Like, what if we're praying for people to be healed, like expecting this is going to happen because of who he is, not because of any magic words that come out of my mouth, but I expect it. And I'm actually shocked when he doesn't. What if our prayers look like that? That's how I want to pray. And that's how people prayed in the Bible. And God still works in these same same ways. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're actually going to pray together. And it may get uncomfortable. But man, God desires, it pleases God for us to pray. So we're going to do two things together this morning. We're going to look to God's word for direction on prayer. And then we're going to use God's word to direct our prayers. 
And we're going to start looking at just at the life of Jesus quickly. It's interesting, in Luke 18, verse 1, he says, it just says this. It says, now he, being Jesus, took them and told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. And you can go back to Luke 18 and go into the parable. I'm not going to go into that. But the point of the parable is for them to pray always and not give up. Who's ever prayed for something and just not seen God do it? It gets a little tiring, right? I mean, I've heard about wives. There's always the wives. Wives praying for their husbands to come to faith. Years and years. Well, I don't know why the husbands don't pray for the wives. Maybe another sermon for another day. But years and years and years. And sometimes God's gracious enough to finally bring the stubborn husband I'm included, to the Lord, right? We can be a little hard-headed. But it can be weary. It can be tiring. You're praying for yourself to be healed. You're praying for someone else to be healed. And God just doesn't seem to take that thorn in the flesh away from you. But you remember that God's grace is sufficient. But it gets tiring. And so he says, don't give up. Point of the parable. But what we know is that Jesus taught them to pray, but they also saw his prayer life for themselves. And we see that throughout Jesus' prayer life, he prioritized prayer both private, privately and publicly. And just I'm going to go through a couple things real quick just to see Jesus' prayer life. So I think it's encouraging, but we need to know what he did since he did set the example for us to follow. And man, if, if Jesus being fully man, fully God, valued prayer, I'm thinking we might ought to as well. And so we see him praying privately. Meaning he just spent time by himself with the Father. In Mark 1, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. In Luke 5, in the busyness of life, verse 15, it says, But the news about him being Jesus spread even more, and large crowds would come to hear him and be healed of their sickness. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. And he prayed before big decisions in Luke 6, 12. During those days, he went up to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer. In the next verse, he came down and selected his 12 disciples. And so Jesus spent a lot of time in private prayer. I wonder, do we? And let me ask this. Do you ever feel like you just don't hear from God? Like, man, maybe you do pray. I'm just not hearing from the Lord. I don't like, just never, or at least... Not as much as I'd like to. Well, I said, I think it's sometimes it's an us issue. Sometimes God just teaches us something in the waiting, no doubt. But sometimes I think it's an us issue. Instead of silence and solitude with the Lord, for many, prayers look more like being distracted or out of duty. Right? Done out of a duty. Like, I have to do this, so I'm going to do it. I heard a, one of the... Uh, God's in the Christian radio station this week talking about his prayer life. He says, I pray best while I'm driving. I'm like, wow. I'm not going to doubt what you said. I'm sure that's when you pray best. But is your best time of prayer is when you're not fully focused on the Lord? I wonder how we do that. We try and pray as we go. Like, okay, I know I need to pray, so I'm going to do it as I do this. And Instead of just spending silence and solitude where your only focus is the Lord as best as you're able to. I mean, it takes carving out time. But I wonder if we're not hearing from the Lord because we really don't focus on the Lord. We're not really setting aside time just to be with Him. Just to cherish that time spending with Him like Jesus did. Jesus prioritized 
prayer in the silence and solitude with the Father. I think it's a great example of what we need. Jesus needed it. We need it. We need that time just set apart. But we also see in Jesus' life that he prayed publicly. That means he prayed with others. We see it as baptism in Luke 3. He was baptized, and then as he was praying, what? The heavens opened up as he was praying. In Luke 9, he takes Peter, James, and John up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. As he was praying, they went up to pray for this purpose. And he would pray often with his disciples, and we see that in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. He says, when he was praying in a certain place, and when he was finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. See, his prayers were so different and so prioritized and so powerful, that his disciples said, I want to pray like that. I want to pray like you. Teach us to pray like that. They saw his prayer life that stemmed from a personal relationship with the Father. And Jesus says, okay, pray like this. You remember this? Pray like this. And the first thing he says, Father. That's interesting. Father, your name be honored as holy. Usually when the first thing you say is usually one of the most important things that you need to be remembered. Father, your name be honored as holy. Off the bat, he's showing there's a relationship that you have and a reverence that you hold. And it's both those things. Here, the God of the universe, the God who spoke all things into existence, the God that right now is, has the sun and the moon on a perfect rotation, that has us just far enough for your tomatoes to be ripened by the sun, right? That gives us the breath in your lungs. Every time you breathe in, he's given that to you. He holds the planets, universe. He's named every star. This God, and yet... We can say, Daddy, Father. And sometimes I think we come to him because we have maybe a messed up relationship with our dads and we try to project that on him. He's a good father. And we can come to him with any and all things. And he desires and it pleases him. So we get to come to him as Daddy and with his reverence. And so how that much impacts our prayer life, knowing who he is and yet the opportunity we have to have this relationship that we're going to talk to him at any point, no matter what you're doing. And we see that throughout Jesus' life. He prioritized time with the Father. Why? Because he had to? Because he got to. Because he got to. It was a privilege. It wasn't a chore, but a choice and a chance. Francis Chan says it simply like this. You have God's ear. You thought about it like that? You have God's ear. I mean, it's amazing. Like, so if I told you right now, there's a God who I can talk to at any point that holds all things and orchestrates all things and sovereign over all things and holds my perfect plans even in his hands, and yet, you know what? I don't need to talk to him. No thanks. Doesn't this sound insane? I mean, honestly, for honest, it sounds insane of a God who holds everything in his hands 
and desires us to come to Him with everything that we go through and do and is on our minds and we're stressed out about and worried about and anxious about. And we're like, no, I'm good. Isn't that insane? Maybe just me. I feel insane sometimes after I worry about something and then I come to God later. I'm like, why didn't I just do this in the first place? Because I'm a control freak. That's why. It ain't good. It's insane. And we see Jesus desired this time with the Father. He needed it, but he got to. We get to because of Jesus. That night that Jesus was betrayed, in those final moments before he would give up his life, do you know what he was doing? Any ideas? Praying. Not a trick question. Yep. So we're talking about today. So any question I'm going to ask, probably be praying or Jesus. Just blur out one of those answers and you'll be probably fine. He was praying. But I wanted to take a few moments to see who he was praying for and what he was praying. Because that matters a whole lot. That's what brings us back to what Tony read for us in John chapter 17. So I've given you plenty of time to get there. All right, that was all the buffer, all the intro. Now we're finally in John 17. And so this is Jesus praying to the Father among his disciples. And so up to this point, it starts in John 13. So if you want to read this whole encounter that they were having, Jesus brings his disciples together. He washes their feet. We'll do that here in a minute. And then we'll, they're going to, we're not going to do that. They have what we know as the Last Supper. They pray together. He prays for them. And he prays this. In John 17, verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. And so right here, he's praying directly for his disciples, but it's not only them he's praying for. This is awesome. If you go down a little bit further in verse 20, he says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And this to me is amazing. Because Jesus here is praying on behalf of his disciples, but also for his disciples' disciples, and his disciples' disciples' disciples, and his disciples' disciples. I'm going to stop there, because 2,000 years later, he's still praying for y'all. Like, we are here because of the faithfulness of a few disciples. They risked everything from proclaiming the gospel to go in obedience to the Lord. That's why we get to sit here in the west end of Enrico County, in the comfort of AC, and worship. And Jesus was praying for us 2,000 years ago. And so this is set the tone for what we're talking about this morning. Is just as Jesus prioritized prayers for his followers, we're going to do the same today. Praying for the one another's. The one another's, Christians, praying for one another's. That's what we were going to do, and that's what Jesus was doing and so we're here, we know who Jesus prayed for in his final moments, but what did he pray? And so this is what we're going to use to direct our prayers in the remaining moments together. So the first one, look at verse 11. He's praying, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. And so what's he praying for here? He's praying for protection, but he's praying for protection from division. He's praying for unity. And this is one of the greatest schemes of the devil, I believe, that he's attacking his church, is in division. 
1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, be alert. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. This is interesting. I was doing some research on lions and how lions hunt. It's so fascinating. The way they hunt buffalo, right, for example, and buffalo about three times as large as a lion with their sharp hooves and horns. What they do is when this buffalo is in a herd, the lions come in, they chase and cause chaos, dividing the herd from amongst each other and separating them until they can find one. And then as soon as they have that one alone, they devour it. Very similar to what the adversary does to the church of Christ. But I don't think we don't notice this much because it's not quite as aggressive as watching this video. It's, it's hard to watch, just to be honest. It's much more subtle. And I think if I was thinking through just a few, and I think his schemes well up in us, and it looks more like pride, preferences, politics. Step on some toes there, huh? Yeah. That's what's caused division. Our pridefulness, our preferences, our politics. Our aim as we walk in this Christian life together as a local church is to fight against divisiveness while working through disagreements. It's not that we won't disagree. It's what do you do with it? You work through it. You don't let it cause divisiveness. And when you see a disagreement, see the crack where your adversary, the devil, is trying to insert himself in. This is what Jesus prayed against. In our discipleship group right now, we're memorizing Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. But specifically 3 through 5, and this is what our leadership continually goes back to, this passage. But I think we need to gravitate towards this. When we talk about unity, this will help shift our focus to really fight through divisions and fight for unity, even in the midst of disagreements. Philippians 2, 3, and 5, 3 through 5 says this. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. And the verse 5 says this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. You want to see unity in a church? That. That. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And so we're going to pray. We're going to pray for unity right now. It might get a little awkward because it's going to be quiet. Because we're not used to quiet. But it's going to get quiet. And if you're not following Jesus and you're an unbeliever, man, I'm so glad you're here. And this may be super awkward. But because we follow Jesus, we have a relationship with the Lord, and we get to talk to him at any point, and believe he actually does things. It's amazing. And so we're going to do that. We're going to pray expectantly, but we're going to pray for unity. And it's amazing. As we start praying unity for this local church, and it may be a universal church, and you've already seen divisions and disagreements that led to destruction, and the church get ravaged, I want us to pray for unity, protection from division. And start here. Start within our local church because we're not exempt. 
By God's grace, we've been very unified. But we have to intentionally pursue the Lord because he is the one that keeps us unified. So what we're going to do, we're just going to pray. I also want to have a moment just to you pray in the silence of the room just by yourself, and then I'm going to close this time of prayer. And then we're going to do this two more times. And it's going to get weird. It's going to get awkward. You okay with that? It's going to be good, though. I want to pray expectantly. So let's just pray for unity in this church, among believers, maybe even in your own family. You have Christians in your family that are just disunified. So let's take a few moments, just pray for God to bring about unity and protect us from divisiveness. Father, we come before you just praying the words that Jesus prayed. That you protect us just from the schemes of the evil one that caused division. And Lord, make us one as you, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one. Bring us unity that stems from you. Help us to fight against any divisions. Help us to work through disagreements that are glorifying to you and unifying to one another. And enjoy the diversity that we have as your people that come together with all kinds of backgrounds and baggage, yet we have the most important unifying factor. That is Jesus. We thank you, Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we continue... The next thing we're going to pray, we see it comes out of verse 14 and 15. Again, we're just praying what Jesus prayed, right? He says, I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. And this is interesting. And so we're going to pray towards these ends as well. But when you go back to the Lord's Prayer, when they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, he taught me how to pray. And he says this in Matthew 6, verse 13. He prays, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is what we're going to pray for is protection against temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. It's not that you won't be tempted. It's when you're tempted. When you're tempted, he'll provide a way out. And notice that no temptation is going to come upon you that you cannot handle, even though it may feel like it. But it's how you handle those temptations matters a whole lot. 
And I'm the process guy. I love processes. I love systems. I love structure. And James chapter 4, verse 7, gives you a great process for fighting temptation. Step number one simply says, submit to God. Step number two, resist the devil. And then thirdly, he will flee from you. But see, we skip step one. We try to resist, 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 and fight on our own strength. And we're trying to do all these things. And we forget we got to submit to God. And this is a, going back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, be alert. Here's what the devil knows. He knows that our temptation is to feed our flesh, not to fight our flesh. Is that just me? No amens there, huh? And if we're honest, right, we love the things that make us feel good. And we fall to the lie that sin throws at us. Like, if you just do this, it's going to satisfy, it's going to do these things, it's going to make you feel good, it's going to be worth it. And it never fulfills its promise. It just makes you hungry for more, for more, for more. We need to submit to God when we start having these weaknesses because he's the one that gives us strength and the way out. I'm convinced why we don't see the way out when we have temptations because we don't even see the temptation until we're already in it. I'm convinced why we don't already see the temptation when we're in it is because we're not praying like we ought to. I'm telling you, the more you pray, the more you're aware of, one, your own sinfulness, but also God's goodness. And He's the one that makes you hate your sin more and more and love Him more and more. See, I can tell you, don't do this, don't do that, don't get drunk, don't do pornography, don't have sex outside of marriage. I can tell you all these things. It doesn't do any good unless the Holy Spirit does that work in you. I'm convinced. Only way that happens is if you love the Lord more than you love yourself. Because I love me some me, man. I just do. But do I love the Lord more? It starts there. And that's the work the Holy Spirit does. Jesus says in Matthew 5, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown in hell. I mean, you plug in anything you want instead of I, if that's too hard for you. If your phone causes you to sin, throw it away. If your TV causes you to sin, throw it away. If your computer causes you to sin, throw it away. If your workplace causes you to sin, get out of it. If your friend group causes you to sin, leave them. If your boyfriend causes you to sin, get rid of them. Like, you plug it in. There's things that trip us up. What are you doing about it? We talk about guardrails. What are guardrails in your life to protect you in your weaknesses? Like, I counsel too often young people, right, that have this lust issue and they keep falling into this lustful habits with their boyfriend or girlfriend. I just can't, just can't get out of it, right? I just can't, I'm helpless. Well, how about stop being alone at 2 a.m. with the person? That's a starting point. This ain't legalism, this is wisdom. Like we put ourselves in environments that we keep tripping ourselves up. How about guardrails and submit to the Lord? Even when like, man, I'm so angry now, I want to punch this person in the face, right? Not good. Don't need to do it. But it's going to feel so good, right? If I just punch this person, it's going to feel good, I'm pretty sure. That's how we think. Resist. It says submit to God. Resist the devil. Those temptations that we have are from the devil. So let's just pray for one another. 
resisting temptation, protection against temptation. Because listen, I know we're all dealing with things. I know we put on a happy smile and drink our cup of coffee. How are you doing? All blessed and highly favored by the Lord. I know we do these things, right? And deep down, we're dying inside. We're getting our teeth kicked in by temptation. But we hide it. You know, gross stuff grows in the darkness. You know that? Jesus reveals it in the light. And so let's just pray for one another. And as you're praying for one another to be strengthened, to resist temptation, actually hate the sin that we're in, let's be praying for ourselves in that. So again, I don't know what God's serving in your life, but let's just spend this time praying for one another in that specific way. Strength over temptation to fight the sin that we so easily slip into. So again, I'll just spend a few moments in prayer, and I'll close this once again. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you just realizing we are weak. But in our weakness, we know that you show your strength. So in our weakness, help us to run to you for your strength, for your provisions, for your protection. Help us to see the temptation when faced with it and see the way out that you provided for us. Fighting our flesh and submitting to you first in your strength. Lord, continue to create a, just a hatred for the sin in our lives and a strength over it. Create a desire for our lives to be pleasing to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And lastly, verse 16. He continues to pray. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And Christian, you are in the world, which I know you were well aware of. I know that. But you're not of the world. And I think we forget that. In it, not of it. This word sanctify means set apart for God's purposes. So as you come to Jesus, you have been set apart for God's purposes. In the world, not of it. You look different. That's why I just prayed a minute ago that they will be hated. You will be hated. You will lose friends. You may risk your job. You may your security because of the name of Jesus. Is he worth it? And I'm becoming more frank and blunt with people who have newly come to Jesus. Because I think we believe the lie. Like we come to Jesus and everything gets great. Finance, health, 
just blessed. Man, it's just not true. It's not true in the Bible. It's not true today. It can be. I mean, it can be. God's not against money. He's against your love for money. Understand that? Solomon, richest guy, most wisest guy, not against money. He's against you worshiping money. But are we pursuing those things? This is what the world teaches. You pursue these things. It's next and next and promotion and achievement. And no matter what you have to do to get there, whoever you have to step on, it, it's about your success. And it's just not true. Now, God can use those things by his grace and goodness, but that shouldn't be our aim. We're not of the world. We're still in the world. And so we see here is to be set apart for God's purposes. We reject the ways of the world and receive the message and methods of the master. And what we see here, this isn't a call to isolation, but it is a call to separation. Right? I'm not, it's, you don't see in the Bible where Jesus has called us to go be monks somewhere. Just by yourself, resisting sin, which is interesting because you're still going to have sinful thoughts. So that doesn't even matter. It's a call to separation. We're in the world, but not of it. And I love the John 13, the new commandment. Verse 34, Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I've loved you. You are also to love one another. And he says this, by this, your love for one another, the way I loved you, love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Amen. This influences so many things. We are to be among people, but not of people. And going back to unity, man, if the church can be unified, that speaks volumes to a disunified society that we live in. Because look around the room, we, we have all kinds of walks, lives, demographics, all these different things, and yet we can be unified? That's amazing, and it's an amazing movement of God. It speaks volumes. We can still love each other, even though we have so many different differences, lack of commonalities. And he says this, and as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And so we have to ask the question, what does it look like to be sent as Jesus was sent? Well, I'm not, I think it'd be helpful to look at Jesus. As the Father sent Jesus, we are sent by Jesus in the same way. And we look at Jesus' life, it's easy to see that he exemplified love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know why? It's all fruits of the Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a believer. So as we look at what Jesus exemplified, his life exemplified these things, we have to ask the question, does yours? Does yours? We look at Jesus' life, and he was characterized by loving the unlovable, being generous and giving grace, being, extending unmeasured and unmerited mercy, sacrificing his schedule for the sake of others. And so we see what Jesus' life is characterized by. Again, I ask, is yours? And Jesus' purpose was to point to and to provide the path to a greater promise. In John 3, 16, he says, For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And this everyone, it means everyone. No matter your background or baggage, Everyone. No one is separated from the grace that Jesus extended. This is amazing because I've talked to some people over the years, and even the hardest person you can think of, 
is still not exempt from God's grace if they turn and repent and believe. Listen, we've all been created by God in His image for the purpose of knowing Him and being known by Him. But we've all sinned and been separated from our sin and we can't do anything good about it. You are not good enough. Welcome to the way, church. The connect card is scanned on the way out. We are full of encouragement. You're not good enough. The Bible calls us basically a black-hearted, wretched sinner. That's who we are. But the point is, God did something to bring you out of the mess, the muck, and the mire. He came down. Jesus lived a perfect life that we were expected to live. Died the death that we should have died. Paying the price for our sins so that everyone who believes in Him alone has eternal life in Him. Conquered the grave, raised on the third day, now intercedes, prays on behalf of us. And that's the relationship that we get to have with the Father. Everyone who believes in Him alone has eternal life. And this doesn't mean that you understand everything about the Bible. It means that, yes, I know that Jesus died for my sins, and somehow, some way, His blood on the cross cleansed me from all sins and all unrighteousness, and now I have the relationship restored with Him that I was meant to have in the first place. That's the gospel, and that's what Jesus is saying here. This was His purpose and God's plan. It's to bring us, sinners, back to Him, Savior. That was Jesus' purpose to bring many people to himself. And the point I want you to see here, that that's your purpose too. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It means as you go, we're making disciples. That means proclaiming the gospel. So if I ask just one question. When's the last time you shared the gospel with someone, with an unbeliever? I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but think through, how long has that been? Have you ever? And this is the scary part, because as Christians, we don't share the gospel much. But yet what the Bible says is that that is the only way people come to faith, is by you sharing the gospel out loud with words. That's it. And go back to where we're praying for healing, our lack of prayers for healing. We never see people prayed. Same thing. How many people have you seen come to faith through you proclaiming the gospel? Many people, zero to not much. Why? Because we don't proclaim the gospel. It's amazing that we partner with the International Mission Board, and a few times a year they'll come through here, and we'll go and share the gospel as part of their training process, and we see many, many people come to faith. God's working all around us. There's people ready to come to faith, but they're waiting on you to proclaim the gospel. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those who were able to be part of our baptism Saturday a few weeks ago, what an amazing opportunity just to see people take that step in obedience of baptism, want to identify with Christ Jesus in the way that he was baptized. This is the first command. The going is not the command. It's expected as you go throughout your day, make disciples, command. Be baptized, command. Teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Command. This is how we make disciples. It's an interesting phrase. I know we don't make disciples. not like we're forming people. God's doing it, but he uses common, ordinary men and women like us as part of his plan and purpose. So as we look to what it means as when Jesus prays, as you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. I want us to pray towards these ends. 
Pray for one another as we, are we showing our Savior as we're sent to share about our Savior? Think through what is our life showing? Is our life leading people just as we live it closer to Christ? And then are we sharing the hope that we have with Christ, oh, from Christ with others? Here's, here's, this may be new news to you, so hold your seats. There are lost people all around you. Do you know that? I mean, everywhere you go, what if you just paused? And we're going to pray here in a second. But when you go to the grocery store, when you go to the mall, when you go to your workplace, what if you just paused and asked Jesus to help you see people like he sees people? And open your eyes to the lostness that's around you. Those who are going through this short thing that we call life, looking for hope and purpose and identity and security and joy and happiness and worth and everything else but the only one who can provide those things. Jesus. We look inside ourselves. The Bible says our hearts is where the sin comes from. So that's not a good place to look. We look towards one another or the culture who's always shifting and changing. So no wonder why depression is so high. No wonder why suicide addictions are so high. Because so many people are looking to the wrong provider. Do you know your purpose is that you are the one that's going to provide hope? And what I mean is that you're the one who's a point to the provider of the hope. So I'm going to invite us to pray. And this is going to be our, our last little season of prayer that we're going to have. I want you to pray for us, one another, as Christians, as we go to show through our lifestyles the amazing love and sacrifice, the fruits of the Spirit that Jesus exemplified, and the character qualities that we saw in him. Loving the unlovable, being generous and giving mercy, unmeasured, unmerited mercy, generous and giving grace, sacrificing our schedules for the sake of others. Pray for one another and ourselves to live intentionally and see what God might do with that come Monday. Spend just a moment of prayer and listen, if you don't know, like if, if you have not surrendered, to Jesus as King. I invite you to pray that during this time of prayer. Again, you don't have to know it all, but I believe God's working and moving, and somehow, some way, you just understand Jesus paid for my sins, and I know that if I believe in Him, I'm forgiven and restored to that relationship I was meant to have with the God of the universe. And now I can pray these praises and know that God hears me and moves. Let's take some time just to pray. One more time, just in the quietness of the room, and I'll close us. Praise you, Father, Lord.
Father, I ask that you give us a desire to live and be sent in a way that's glorifying and pleasing to you. Help our lives point to your goodness and your grace. Help our lives to continue to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Let us be all those things that we see, the love, joy, let those flow from us, peaceful, patient, kind, faithful, gentle, self-controlled, the goodness that flows from us, Father, that's from you. Lord, increase those things out of us so we know those please you and ultimately they look different than those who are of the world. Lord, continue to give us a desire to not care about what the world thinks but care more about what you think in our lives. To be able to risk it all for you. To serve you, to follow you because you are worth it and you are worthy. Help us remember the gospel that we were saved by. That we weren't it's not that we did anything good or all of a sudden we had this knowledge that was just amazing, but it was your grace that wrecked our lives and brought us and radically changed us in you. Lord, fuel that flame that we once had for your glory, for your passion, Father, to serve you, to follow you. Help us not forget the gospel and your goodness and your grace on a daily basis. And open our eyes to the needs around us. As we go in the places where we work, live, play, recreation, Grocery stores, Father, wherever we go, break our hearts for those who are searching for hope, security, love, joy, peace, all these things, and are missing it because they don't know you. Help us to be ambassadors, witnesses for you, pointing that everything we do, everything that we say to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, give us a renewed passion to live a life pleasing in your sight. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what bringing us here. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for your word that is unchanging. And we thank you for being a God who is forever faithful. We thank you, Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.